Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome back to Come Follow Me for Teens. I'm Josh Downs. Today's episode is episode 49, and uh, we're going to be taking a look at the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the book of Jude. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Apologize for the delay in getting this out. It has been a crazy week filled with a lot of different things that uh, has kept me very busy, but I wanted to try to get this out before Sunday. The theme for this week is one that I love, and uh, ironically, it's all about love. The the title or the theme for this week is God is Love, and I can't wait to dig into this and dive into this a little bit here this week. I know personally from experience, as I'm sure you do, that love is something that as a culture and a society we are obsessed with. We tend to look for it everywhere. You can see it in everything. It's in movies, it's in music, uh, television shows, novels, it's the topic of talk shows and podcasts. It seems as if everyone is trying to understand it, what it looks like and how to find it. There's even a show called The Bachelor or Bachelorette, which is all about taking the journey to find love. It seems to be almost at the core in many ways of everything that we do, whether it's romantic love or a love of family, a love of, of things that we do, a love of food, a love of whatever it is. Love is just in everything. One of the ways that we see it best, and young people, you will experience it in a profound way in years to come, is romantically. That is a love that we all long for, to be loved in that way, in that level, and to love uh, in that way, in in that level. Um, It's not always an easy thing, however, to find. I was 27 before I got married, and I remember prior to that just wanting to find love so much. Well, maybe nowhere else in all of Scripture is love defined more simply in its definition than it is in these chapters. The background of these chapters is as follows. When John and Jude wrote their epistles, corrupt doctrine had already started leading many saints into apostasy. Some false teachers were even questioning whether Jesus Christ had actually appeared in the flesh. What could a church leader do in such a situation? The Apostle Paul responded by sharing his personal witness of the Savior. This is the testimony which we give of that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked on and our hands have handled of the word of life. And then John taught about love, God's love for us and the love we should have for him and all of his children. After all, John was a witness of that too. He had personally experienced the Savior's love, and he wanted the saints to feel that same love for themselves. John's testimony and teachings on love are just as needed today when faith in Jesus Christ is questioned and false teachings abound. Reading John's epistles can help us face adversities with courage, for there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear. 
Great introduction and very applicable to today. And I just got three principles, as usual, that I want to kind of go through and, and just kind of get you started in your study and, and kind of set the tone for what else to look for and uh, different ways you can learn through these chapters as you study them. The first principle I wanted to take a look at today is in John, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 8, which reads, and I think this is an important one, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Back when I was teaching, um, whenever I give a lesson that was heavy on the topic of sin and repentance, I would often start it out by giving my students a test. And what I would put on their desk would just be a small square size cut out of a piece of paper. And on one side, there was simply a question and a two boxes that they could check as to the answer to that question. I'd put it face down and just tell them, okay, you guys, today I have a test for you. This test is very significant, very important, because whether or not you can pass this test will really indicate whether or not you can pass the test of life. Now, that's a lot of pressure to put on on students. And right away, kids would be like, oh, wow, wait, what, Brother Downs? They say, yep, it comes down to this. And to make it a little bit easier, it's a multiple choice. You have a 50-50 chance of getting this test right and therefore passing the test of life. (laughs) Well, then I would tell them to turn the paper over and start. And I would give them about 30 seconds to try to answer the question. And the question was simply this. The multiple choice question was this. Repent or suffer? And they simply could check which box they would choose to check. We then have a pretty marvelous discussion just about the concept of repentance and how it relates to life's test. It really, in many ways, does come down to that decision. It really is that simple. And a lot of that I, I took from Doctrine and Covenants section 19, verses 16 through 20. Listen to what the Savior says here, just about life and repentance. He says, For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Wherefore, I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power, that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, even in the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. In other words, God's plan and his purpose is to help us to repent so that we don't have to suffer as he suffered. And in a lot of ways, that's really what it comes down to. And the first step in being able to get to that place is to recognize that we need repentance. As John says in that previous verse that we read, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The most important thing we can do at the very beginning is to recognize that we are all sinners, that we make mistakes, that we have made a mistake or multiple mistakes. 
and therefore we need to repent. I've recognized and come to recognize that it's very easy for us, all of us, to in many ways hide our sins. We don't want to acknowledge that we've made mistakes. We're afraid for others to see them. And so we tend to keep them hidden. I think I've shared many times, probably in other um, episodes of, of this podcast, just the connection between the, the story of Adam and Eve and our own stories, how similar they really are on the surface, that Adam and Eve, they were tempted by a forbidden fruit. They took it. Satan commanded them to hide after their experience because they felt shame for what they had done. And here comes God into the garden asking Adam where he is. And he knows fully well where Adam is. But he is doing that because he wants to give Adam the opportunity to come out from hiding. To be vulnerable with God. And to admit his mistakes and his sins. To to trust that, that he it will be okay. That God will still love and accept him. And that story is at the beginning of all stories. Because that story is really our story. We're all going through that. And in order for us to pass the test, we, like Adam, eventually have to come out from hiding and say, God, here I am. Here's what I've done. I am opening myself up to you. I am choosing to be vulnerable. I am trusting you with even the worst parts of me. Well, that's exactly what God wants because it's at that point that he can begin to work with us and to begin to change our hearts and change our minds and to forgive us of the things that we've done, but it takes repentance. As John says in, in 1 8, not only if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, he then gives us the key to begin to change. If we confess our sins, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It then becomes up to us, especially young people, I know how hard and difficult it is to admit when you've made mistakes, when you've committed sin, to go and talk to your parents, to go and talk to a bishop. I've been there. I know what that's like. I know how hard that is to do and how easy it is to hide those things and to keep them hidden. But I also know how they just tend to fester, almost like infection in a wound. And it just gets worse and worse and darker and darker. The sooner that we can confess and that we can repent, the sooner we can come out from the darkness and out of hiding and into God's light and into his love. President Packer <clears throat> gave some counsel to youth many years ago in which he said, If the adversary should take you prisoner due to misconduct, I remind you that you hold the key that will unlock the prison door from the inside. You can be washed clean through the atoning sacrifice of the Savior Jesus Christ. You may in time of trouble think that you're not worth saving because you have made mistakes, big or little, and you think you are now lost, but that is never true. Only repentance can heal what hurts, but repentance can heal what hurts no matter what it is. Elder J. Devin Cornish once said, If we will sincerely repent... God really will forgive us, even when we have committed the same sin over and over and over again. As Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, However many chances you think you've missed, however many mistakes you feel you've made, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. 
Repentance isn't a punishment, you guys. It's a gift from a loving Heavenly Father, a Father that knows that you'll make mistakes and has provided a way for you to overcome them. I think one of the best ways that we see God's love is when we go through the process of repentance. So some questions I would invite you to consider in this simple principle is, is maybe one, how do you personally feel about repentance? And why do you think repentance can at times be so hard to do? What obstacles might a person face when it comes to true repentance? Another one to consider, which I think is good, is why do you think confession is a part of repentance? Why would God include that in the repentance process? And why do you think God is so willing to forgive us of our mistakes? I think it's important for you, especially as young people, to reflect on that one. And what does that teach about his love for us, about his love for you? And then in terms of applying this, what is something that you feel that maybe the Spirit is even whispering to you now and listening to this that you need to begin to repent of? And most importantly, what can you start doing today to move towards repenting of it, whatever that is? Now, principle two goes along with that in many ways and again ties into the theme of God is love. And it is in 1 John chapter 2, just a few uh, a page over, verse 5. John points this out about love, and I think this is an important aspect to understand about loving God. He says, But whoso keeps his word, referencing God's word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Now, I I love that particular principle because that is one of the indicators, probably the chief indicator of our love for God is that we follow him, that we walk as he walked. That's how we know and can know that we truly love God. Because we want to do what he did. We want to follow what he said. We want to become more like him. We tend to mimic those things that we love. Have you noticed that? And if we truly love God, we'll want to mimic him. That's one of the ways that repentance, I know, can be fully seen and realized in life. Because when we truly love God, it leads us to repent of our sins. And once we repent, that repentance kind of spreads throughout all areas of our life. We may only be repenting of a particular sin or sins that we've been committing. But through that repentance process, we develop a closer connection and a love for God that, again, spreads to other things that maybe we weren't doing at the time. Well, because of of going through that repentance process and feeling God's love, we will want to be where he's at more. It will be easier for us to go to church, to partake of the sacrament, to go to the temple, to read our scriptures, to say our prayers, be more easily uh, come to us to pay our tithing, to serve others. Repentance spreads throughout all of our life because God's love is found in repentance. And the more that we love God, the more that we'll want to follow Him. As an example uh, of this in what it looks like, John then gives us a, at least one area that we can look for that to recognize if we indeed love God by the way that we're following Him. 
And the example is in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which John writes, He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness, even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Now, did you pick up on that, young people? I think this is a very important one for you to understand. If we truly want to love God and we are wanting to develop that in us and we think that we have it in us, then one of the ways that it will best be seen is in the way that we treat other people. It is impossible for us to say that we are in the light, that we love God and that we're following him and hate our brother (laughs) or sister. As John says, if that's the case, we're really in darkness. We're not in the light. And the love of God really isn't in us. Because he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. There's a cause and effect relationship that, that goes on here. The more we love God, the more we love others. The more we love others, the more we love God. I know of so many people that claim to follow Christ, claim to love God, yet they won't speak to their neighbor because of some falling out that they had. They choose to remain estranged from family members because of of something that had happened. They harbor hate for others. Now, I don't pretend to minimize the pain that others can cause. But the value in loving God and following Him is that He is the one that takes that pain away, not others. And he is the one that can change it to empathy, that can change it to understanding, that can change it to patience, that can eventually change it to forgiveness. To the point where instead of harboring hate, we harbor love. Elder Marvin J. Ashton, I think, really said it best when he said, the best and most clear indicator that we are progressing spiritually and coming unto Christ is the way we treat other people. Young people, use that as a measuring stick for you, for your love of God, for your faith and your testimony. The best, most clear indicator that we are progressing spiritually and coming unto Christ is the way we treat other people. And use it as well as a measuring stick for those in your life to kind of see where they are in their spiritual progression. It's important for you to recognize that as you associate with them in, uh, in French, in developed friendships or even close relationships, romantic relationships. Always, always, always watch for the way people treat other people because that will always be a clear indicator in the way that we are progressing spiritually and where we are in our relationship with Christ. President Nielsen said something very similar when he said one of the easiest ways to identify a true follower of Jesus Christ is how compassionately that person treats other people. John adds more understanding to that in in some subsequent verses uh, of Scripture. In John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, We know we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren, or we love our brothers and sisters. It's a good indicator to see where our hearts are and where we are in this journey from death into life. John 4, 8 is another great cross-reference you can write in there, where John says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's where the theme comes from. It really, that particular verse, I think, boils it down in its most simplest form. God is love. Everything about him is love. And love can best be found in God. And love for others can be found in our love for God. God is just simply love. 
Now, a couple key questions on this principle for you to consider. Number one, why is your love for others, do you think, an indicator of our love for God? What is the connection really between loving God and loving others? And if we want to be more loving of others, based on what we've been talking about, where is a good place to start? And if we want to love God more, where would be a good place to start? Another thing to consider, I think, would be uh, who has been a good example to you of what it means to love God and to love others. I know there's some wonderful examples out there for us to, to look at and to emulate and to learn from. Another question, can you see a connection between their love of God and their love for others? Who in your life is in need of greater love from you? Who in your life is in need of your forgiveness? And how can you show your love for God better today by showing your love for others better? The last principle I want to take a look at is in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. And again, ties a lot into love. That is just seems to be the theme of these chapters. John writes this statement, and young people, I want to share this with you because I want you to understand the potential impact that you have in your parents' lives and in their joy. In chapter 1 of 3 John, verse 4, John writes this, that I simply, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Young people, will you please mark that statement that principle, that truth, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. And will you contemplate for a moment on what that means for you and for your parents? One of the greatest things you can do for your parents, one of the greatest blessings you can give them, one of the ways that you can give them the most joy in their life is to walk in truth. Now, if that's true, then the opposite is also true, isn't it? One of the, the greatest sources of pain that you can cause for your parents is to walk not in truth. One of the ways that you can hurt them the most, that you can disappoint them the most and, and bring the most sorrow to their lives is by walking away from truth. You want an example of that? Just look in the, the scriptures in the Book of Mormon on the, the journey to the, the promised land with Nephi and his brothers and uh, you can just get a sense, you can see, almost get a feel for the way that Nephi and Laman and Lemuel's choices are impacting their parents. In one example, you see Lehi so proud and pleased with Nephi and his faith and, and just the joy that is brought to him. And in another instance, you see the pain and the hurt and the disappointment as Laman and Lemuel make choices to walk not in truth. In fact, at one point, because of Laman and Lemuel's choices, their parents were brought down near to death, it reads, on their sickbed, even near to death, because of the worry and the stress, the hurt and the pain that they were causing their parents from their poor choices. Please understand that the things that you do have a ripple effect. It's not just you that you're affecting for good or for bad. It ripples, has a ripple effect and affects those that are often closest to you in your life. Now, 
you should always do what you do for yourself, right? The best reason to choose to, to be good and to follow Christ is because you want to. But if you're not necessarily at that place yet, then I think a very close second is to do it for your parents. And I think you you know that one very well. Most of you are probably very familiar with that. Many uh, of you have probably gone to church multiple times because it's what your parents wanted you to do. I've had so many students over the years that only took seminary because, well, that was what their parents wanted them to do. Um, some have even gone on missions because that's what their parents wanted them to do. Young people, I want you to understand that that's not necessarily a bad thing, that you are in incredible company when you do things like that for your parents because the Savior only did those things which pleased God. Everything that he did was because he wanted to please his heavenly father. So see, you're in pretty good company when you do that with your parents. And that is a very good place to start. The Savior submitted his will continually to his father's will. And so when you submit your will to your parents, although you may not have recognized it at the time, I hope that you will now that you have been following Christ, that you've been following his example. In a talk titled, No Greater Joy Than to Know That They Know, by Elder K. Brett uh, Natras of the 70, he says, I don't know if anything in this world can bring more happiness and joy than to know that our children know the Savior, to know that they know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. That is why, as members of the church, we preach of Christ and we testify of Christ. That is why we pray with our children every day. That is why we read the scriptures with them every day. That is why we teach them to serve others so that they can hold claim upon the blessings of finding themselves as they lose themselves in the service of others. Young people, that is why your parents are doing all that they're doing with you in terms of trying to encourage you to go to church, to say your prayers individually and and with your family, to read scriptures, to listen to general conference, to serve, to do well in school, to all these things just help you to be a better person and to walk in truth, which brings them incredible joy or can bring them incredible pain. And I have seen both in my own life and with my own parents. And I have experienced it as a parent as well. One day you'll know exactly what John is talking about when you have your own children. And you want the very best life for them that they could possibly have. And you'll know that it's in the gospel that that life can be found. Now, a couple of key questions I think for you to consider on this principle is, why do you think this is true about bringing joy to parents? What is it about walking in truth that brings them joy? Uh, Maybe on a personal note, how have you brought joy to your parents through your choices and through living the gospel? And what are some of the ways you can increase that joy, their joy in you and the way that, by the way that you are choosing to live your life? I think on the flip side, it's important for all of us to consider how have your choices brought pain to your parents' life? And if that has been the case, then how can repentance bring that joy back? How can loving God help you to love your parents even more? 
And how do you think your perspective of this principle will change once you have kids, once you have your own children? I hope that some of this has been helpful as always. There are so many great concepts and and principles in here. I was telling my own children that if, if there was anywhere that I would send students to go and just to read, knowing that they can find some great doctrines, principles, and truth, great simple statements of power, it would be in these chapters. This is one of the, the great kind of fishing holes within the uh, the New Testament, really all of Scripture, where you can just go in and find some great statements, one of which talks about how that there is no uh, fear in love, that perfect love casteth out all fear. And, and I would invite you to consider that one. That's a tremendous principle we just don't have time to explore. But one of the ways that we can overcome fear in our lives is by developing greater love. I have seen over my life how multiple relationships, whether they've been romantic or friendships or just with family members, have been destroyed because of fear. Fear of, of something that has been said or done or that might happen. Or, and the truth is, is that fear will and always will destroy relationships. Fear is what can cause us to be estranged from others, estranged from God. And faith is what brings us together and there can be no greater faith found than in love. So I guess if I had to summarize this lesson today, it would just be to to love, love more deeply, love God, love others, love yourself. And if and when you struggle with any of that, remember that God can help you because, well, as John says, God is love. As always, please remember that that person is greatest, the most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And as always, He invites us all to come follow me. So, what do you say we follow Him better this week? and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, have a great week. Practice love in all that you say and do. I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for teens and for parents of teens.